Hey there, you're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for boutique professional services firms. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar, and today we're talking to Rochelle Moulton about personal branding. Now, I don't care who you are or what you do, you have a personal brand. Whether you've thought about it or not, your brand does exist. Now, if you're not deliberate about it, then in my opinion, and certainly Rochelle's opinion, you're leaving far too much to chance. Lucky for you, Rochelle Moulton is here to save the day. In this interview, Rochelle and I chat about the four elements of an unforgettable personal brand. And then at the end, I ask Rochelle to do a teardown of my own personal brand. So if you want to see me in a very vulnerable place, then keep listening until the end. Show notes to this episode are at forecast.fm slash Rochelle. That's forecast.fm slash R-O-C-H. E-L-L-E. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, you can do so in one of three ways, iTunes, Google Play, or email, and you'll find links to all three at forecast.fm. With that, here is Rochelle. Rochelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ahmed. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited as well. Why don't you get us started by just giving us your quick backstory? Yeah. Well, you know, I think I've been consulting what seems like forever. So I grew up in big firm consulting, I mean, professionally. So I worked my way through the ranks at at Towers Perrin, which is now, I think, Willis Towers Watson, where I mostly worked on spinoffs, mergers, acquisitions, kind of big, crazy change. And I became a partner there. But, you know, my entrepreneurial gene just won out. And I left to start my first consulting firm. I grew that. I eventually sold that to Arthur Anderson. And then when they went bust, i.e. after Enron, I wound up running the national consulting practice for Spirion, where I was essentially sprucing it up for sale. And so once that deal was done, then I started the marketing and branding strategy firm that I still run today. So that's about 10 years later. I've been doing that for about 10 years. So I got to ask only because, and this is kind of a tangent to the interview and only because I come from a similar background. I was at Ernst & Young for not as long as you were in the big firm space, but I really found the, the leap from big firm to small firm to small practice quite terrifying. You left <laughs> as a partner. and I can only imagine how terrifying that must have been. What was that like? Well, yeah, it was both terrifying and exhilarating at the same time, a little bit like, you know, a free fall out of an airplane with, but with a parachute on your back. So I think, I mean, the reason that I did it was that I really wanted to do three things and I couldn't find a way to do all three things in a big firm, or at least in, in that big firm at that time. And I wanted to consult, I wanted to run a business and I wanted to manage clients. So I wanted to do all three of those things. And after really thinking and researching about it for a long time, I decided you know, going, and I I won't say solo, I actually started the business with a partner, but our plan was always to hire more people. And we did. So I never felt like I, at that time that I was really going to be alone, that I had a partner in looking at that and one who'd kind of come from the same background as I had, but had also run other businesses. And then the other thing I did was I stockpiled cash. So I wasn't worried about what was going to happen in the first year. I didn't want to have that that on me, or I really would have just been terrified and not exhilarated. 
Yeah, no, that's critical. That's and that's that's the first thing I say to a lot of my, a lot of my friends who are still in the big firm space and they're trying to get out, but they're not sure how. The first thing I say is put six months of cash in the bank minimum, right? I mean, a year's yeah. a year's better, but six months minimum. Until then, don't even think about it. And then come back to me and let's talk. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even as a solo, you just don't want to be in that desperate place feeling like you have to sell a project or you're not going to eat. That is not a good place to be for anybody. No, definitely not. So let's jump into the interview. We're talking about personal branding here, Rochelle. And I want you to to get us started by maybe giving us a bit of a definition so we know what our terms are mean. What is personal branding? So personal branding to me is... Well, I'm debating whether I should start with kind of what it is. Let me come back to sort of the deeper dive and what I think how you get there. But in terms of what it is, it's if you imagine your audience closing their eyes and thinking of you, it's what are the words that come to mind? That's your brand. It's the promise that you leave with your audience. And your audience could be, you know, face-to-face clients. It could be your digital audience. I mean, it's all of those things, but it's what at its essence, how do they think of you? And so it's really hard. I always chuckle when I hear rebrand. Rebranding a lot of times is moving parts around on a page. What we're really talking about is what is the essence of that human being? And personal brand in business is what's the essence of that person that is in service to the work, whether it's a firm, the client, a one-to-one relationship, what does that look like? Right. So rebranding that, it would be a bit of a tall exercise, wouldn't it be? (laughs) Well, yeah, it's more like narrowing it. You know, a lot of times with personal brands, it's really about honing it into who you really are at your core and just not worrying about the other stuff, letting that other stuff go and really focusing on your strengths, your talents, your passions, the things that you do better than anybody else. So let me ask you this. I think a lot of people may have some preconceived notions about personal branding. People might think, well, it's really just about having a nice, you know, a nice social media profile or some nice visual graphics on your website or whatever it may be. And I think you've really made it clear that this is about the essence of who you are. Mm -hmm. Why is that so critical to have clear? What do you leave on the table if you don't do this right? Well, at its simplest, you can leave a lot of money behind on the table, but you leave the potential for really great client and alliance relationships on the table. The reason that essence is so important, and I'm I'm just struggling for exactly the right words to the way I want to say this. That essence is about how you do things differently than anyone else. It's about the client experience of you. And so websites are important. Social media profiles are important. And part of the reason they're important is because that's how someone gets to experience you. So the closer your site, whether it's social media, your website, your profile page on your firm's page, the closer that comes to mirroring the exact experience they have when they meet you, bingo. That means that you're repelling bad fits for you or your firm. It means you're pulling the right people. I call them, you know, your sweet spot clients and prospects. You're pulling the right people to you. You're saving your time. You're saving other people's time. And ultimately, you can really enjoy the work that you do because you're attracting the people in the work that you most want to do. 
Is this something that's even more critical now that we live in a in a very digital world where you know clients, prospects are likely either discovering us for the first time or maybe after they discover us, they're getting to know more about us online. Does this become more more of a critical conversation in that world than it was when maybe most of these interactions happened in person? Well, I think so, because along with the proliferation of digital, our attention spans have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. And I'm, I'm not sure what the latest research is. The last one I saw was something like seven seconds to make a first impression. I would argue digitally, it's maybe even shorter than that. So uh, you just have a moment and that moment has to be, everything has to be in alignment. So if you think about it, like as a website, for example, so your images, the photography on that site, it has to align with who you are. And, you know, things like colors and things, those matter too. But it's, does the copy pull them in? If you're using video, does it reflect the experience of being in person with you? And does it align with your sweet spot client? Are you speaking the language of the people that you want to pull to you? Yeah, and I think we were chatting offline before we started the conversation about uh, how I was, you know, shocked that I hadn't discovered you until recently, and, <laughs> and and I found you in a tweet from Jonathan Stark, who was on the show in the past. And when I went to your website, my immediate reaction was, "Why don't I know this person yet?" Because your personality and your personal brand and the way that you do things and the way that you communicate. And the way that you're unique, was it just jumped off the page at me. I got it right away, like within seven seconds. And then certainly as I perused the website Good. more, I got a real flavor for how you do what you do and who you are. And and I immediately wanted to reach out. And I thought, well, let's, she'd be a great person to interview. And now that we're talking, this is just feels like an extension of that experience. I feel like I'm talking to the same person. It's It's all in sync. And I guess that's kind of the goal, isn't it? It is. And it is. And, you know, there's just one simple thing that people can do to help that process. And it's to use the first person. You know, when we describe ourselves, and I'm using third person now, when we describe ourselves on our websites or in our articles, is just say I. And all of a sudden, it, we're connecting one to one, person to person. And it allows us to own the things that we say. And it also, which isn't usually a problem for most consultants, because I think we tend to be a little bit more modest, but it also keeps you away from superlatives. You know, as long as you're saying I and not we, you focus on your belief system, for example, versus saying, well, I'm great because, you know, you focus on the idea, the big idea and the messages behind your work. Yeah, I think I, just a quick anecdote of mine to share where I've really learned this lesson recently. I started out my podcast as a monologue podcast. So I only started doing interviews very recently, actually. The first, yeah, I want to say 40 to 50 episodes were monologues where it's just hmm. me talking to a microphone for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes at a time, right? And initially, my fear was, I'm going to be boring. Right? Like, who, <laughs> who wants to listen to me for 10 to 15 minutes at a time? Like, this is going to be dreadfully boring. But I wanted to do it because I wanted to get good at it. And I wanted to, you know, just, you know, have that experience because I thought it'd be valuable on multiple fronts. And mm -hmm. eventually, I got comfortable in my own skin. And I approached the podcast from the perspective of, you know, how would I communicate this question or this topic to a friend or a colleague or a client or a peer sitting across from me over coffee? And that's how I talked. 
And in the end, mm-hmm. I don't think it was all that engaging. I'm not I'm not the most entertaining guy in the world. I'm not going to keep you at the edge of your seat, but it was valuable. It was insightful. And when I met with prospects after having listened to the podcast, they said to me, I feel like I already know you. Exactly. Exactly. And I happen to be looking at your picture right now as we're talking because I want to feel like I'm talking to you and your voice matches your picture and it's friendly and upbeat and open and smart. And so it just, it all comes together. I can, I absolutely see why they would say that. I get it. Excellent. So that's really valuable. Let's jump into the question of how is personal branding different if you're, you know, in a larger firm where you have multiple professionals or whether you maybe run your own solo or small firm practice? Well, let's first agree on what's the same. And then let's talk about what's different, because I think what's the same is that your value, and I'm talking about what you bill per hour or your worth on a project, goes way up when you have a recognized brand. And, you know, I've been saying this for a long time, but there's a a study that Hinge Marketing did, actually, that said local experts that created a successful niche would bill two to three times more an hour than their peers. And then those kind of rising national stars, people who consulted nationally, would outbill their peers by a factor of four. And then if you became an industry expert or a global rock star, you might outbill your peers by seven to 13 times. So when you start to put you know, zeros on the end of those, it's pretty significant. So personal brand, I believe, is important whether you're a solo or in a big firm, but what's different? So I think the difference as a solo is it's you, yourself, and you, me, myself, and I. So the beauty of that is that you can focus on your point of view. And I would argue every consultant should have a point of view. Even if you don't share the words with anybody else per se, you want to have a handful of paragraphs that really describes how you think about your area of expertise. And then that point of view gets woven into everything that you do, which becomes part of your personal brand. So what that means is that you could do a podcast like you're doing here. You might have a blog. You might do videos or you might have a blog where you occasionally do a video piece on that. And then it translates into your social media. And you have all of a sudden you have content to distribute in social media. And you think of social media as a distribution channel for your wisdom. That's kind of how I like to think about it. So for a solo, it's maybe more straightforward. The challenge sometimes as a solo is being heard because it's one voice, you know, one budget, if you will, in a sea of voices, in a sea of larger budgets. So it puts almost a spotlight on your personal brand, right? Who you are, your belief system, what you choose to write about. So it requires you to really strategically narrow your niche, your audience, and your message. In a bigger firm, and when I say bigger, it could be, you know, maybe three or four partners or people, or it could be a good-sized firm. Then it's a little trickier, I think, because the tricky part is you always want to be in alignment with the brand of the firm. You don't want to have a firm that's all about people, as an example, and you're talking about, no, no, people don't matter. It's not about people. It's about 
technology as an example. So you want to be in alignment, but you still want to be true to who you are. And so that becomes, can become a bit of a challenge. The way I would approach it if I were running a firm is I would encourage people to build their individual brands because it helps us all. It helps the firm improve their positioning, their visibility. It helps, it certainly helps, you know, the bottom line. It helps the consultant in the same way. They become more visible, more valuable, more connected externally, whether that's to clients or future clients and prospects. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Now, if that consultant in that larger firm isn't doing a lot of content creation, you know, maybe they're flying all, all over creation and they're doing very little content creation. Then really what they need to do with their personal brand is focus on curating, on thinking of themselves like an old style museum curator where you find pieces of content that fit with your belief system and you share those and you can share them in a variety of ways. Social media is certainly, you know, one of the easiest ways to do that. Uh, but you can also, you know, you can do old fashioned emails with clients and prospects, keeping them up to date on the things that matter to you. But let me take a breath so you can get a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, I think we've touched on a lot of the components of a personal brand, but I think it might be helpful now at this stage to kind of provide a, a neat and tidy list. If, you know, if I want to tackle this idea of a personal brand and, and make it work for myself or for my firm, what are the things I need to do? Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good place to go. So here's what I believe. I mean, I believe that your personal brand gets rooted in a few things. And the first one is your own specific talents and passions. And I, a lot of times, especially when we're creating a brand for an individual from scratch, that's where I like to start because why should you be doing work that you don't like work that doesn't feed you, right? Because we spend so much time at work. Let's do what we really want to do. And so I think people have to go through this process of deciding which of their talents and passions to focus on. And you know, sort of sidebar, just because we have a talent doesn't mean that we want to use it. For example, I have a talent of working with very difficult, like two partners that are in conflict and getting them to come out the other side happy. But that's not a talent I really enjoy using very often. So you won't really see me talk about it much because I've chosen to not focus on that. So really the consultant has to get clear on where their talents and passions overlap. And then, and I think we all need to know this, we need to know our genius zone. It's like that place where you're completely in flow. You are firing on all cylinders. You are working. It's almost like it flows through you. It's so natural. You might lose track of time. And, you know, everybody has a little different genius zone. For some people, it's being in front of an audience. For other people, it's doing deep research. It's working with a team that acts a certain way or that values their input in a certain way. So you, you focus on how can I work in my genius zone as much as possible every day. And then there's your sweet spot clients and prospects, which, you know, I go back and forth with calling that a niche. So when you think about who's your perfect client, you're looking at, you can look at demographics, you can look at things like industry, what industry are, are they in? You can also look at psychographics, you know, what kinds of things are they interested in and attracted to? And what 
interests do they have that you can connect with? So you're, again, this is all about digging deeper into what makes you unique and different. So who's your sweet spot? And that can lead you to your niche. And for some people, they're already in a niche, right? Maybe you're consulting to bankers of multi-bank holding companies or CFOs of technology companies in the Fortune 2500, that kind of thing. So if you don't already have that niche, that's your way to start to burrow into the right place. And then the last piece of this, which is both the easiest and the hardest, is your big idea. And your big idea is the burning center of all that you do. So it's how your clients are transformed after they work with you. And your big idea is aimed towards your client. And just as an example, so in my own case, I use Be Unforgettable. That's the big idea. Not about me. It's about the client. I want my clients to be unforgettable to their sweet spot. So Every consultant has a big idea, haven't always articulated it yet, or they're still kind of working to hone it, but it's that big idea. And when it's one-to-one, you know, we're just talking about one person versus a firm of people. It's really all about how your client is different after they've experienced you. How are they different? What's that transformation that only you can give? So can I suggest something kind of fun? Sure. Let's break down these four elements for me. Uh, it'll, I think, make everything more real for folks. And plus, I'll get some free consulting out of it, which is great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this Fire is, away. Like, this is not pre-orchestrated, so I'm going to be very transparent here and risk looking stupid in, in front of my entire audience. But that's fine. That's part of the fun, right? <laughs> so let me go one by one and tell me if I'm missing the mark or if I'm on target. Okay. So talents and passions, I mean, what I thought of when you mentioned talents and passions and the one talent that you mentioned that you, you know you have, but you don't like using is I used to be a CPA. So when I was at Ernst & Young, I was an accountant uh, and you know, I was a good accountant. Uh, you know, I had good reviews. I was, you know, getting promoted. I was working on, you know, big high profile clients, got attention from the partners, but I didn't want to be an accountant. It wasn't something that motivated me. It didn't drive me. I didn't see a career in it for me. So I had a talent that was lucrative. And to this day, my parents are frustrated that I, <laughs> that I put in my time with the firm and I got my CPA letters. And for Indian parents, for, to have a child that's a CPA is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> and then I left that now to pursue marketing, which is, you know, vague and, and not all that oh. uh, structured. But yes, accounting's um, better. <laughs> the accounting's better in their mind, right? But that's, you know, that's what I thought of is my, what makes me passionate. The intersection of my talents and passions is communication. It's content creation. It's writing. I'm a writer at heart. I'm a copywriter at heart. Um, now mm-hmm. it's podcasting, right? But it's all of these things fit into the same kind of wheelhouse. It's communicating an idea and helping people with those ideas. That's kind of my talent slash passion, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'll stop there if you have any comments. So you're asking how you're doing. Does that, that like Is that right? Am I looking at this the right way by answering it in those terms? Well, yeah. I mean, you could go even deeper if you wanted to. And, you know, this might sound like psychoanalysis, so we don't have to do this on uh, live in front of your audience. But as an example, you might say, who are the people that I really like to work with? And not just you might say, well, I want to work with professional service firms, but there's probably a way you could define from a talents and passions perspective who really brings out your best work. 
And it might be, you might say, you know, it's firms with X number of partners where the managing partner is strategic, but hasn't figured out how to fill in the blank. So you could dig down more if you wanted to, but I can totally see the communication piece. And the the podcast is a great example because I listened to a few, you know, before we talked so I could kind of hear what you did. And I tend to put consultants from an authority standpoint, you know, how do you demonstrate your authority into five buckets? And one of those buckets is actually a journalist, which is the role you've taken on as you've started to interview people on your podcast. So it's that that journalist is, of course, communications. It's how the journalist says, I'm interested in this topic. I want to learn more. I want to talk to different people and ask them the questions that my audience would really like to know the answers to. So I see the communication theme woven into everything that you have here. And I had to pull up your website because I shut my browser off while we were talking. Your stories section on your nav bar. I mean, that ties right into that. So actually, I think I'd give you an A. Nice. (laughs) I've always wanted an A. Excellent. (laughs) So let me do the second part then. So genius zone, and I think there's quite a bit of overlap here, and I guess that's part of the point. Mm -hmm. But if I think about my genius zone as you described it, I mean, I've got a few answers, but I think the one that stands out to me is consulting. (laughs) It's it's Mm -hmm. sitting in the boardroom with the partners from the firm and troubleshooting an issue that they're having, or it's getting on a one-on-one consultation with a client online and they're, you know, and they're trying to figure out how to generate more leads. Their content's not really hitting the mark. And it's figuring that out and problem solving. I think that's really where I feel like I'm most in a state of flow. Mm-hmm. My calls always go over time, which is frustrating from another perspective, but there's a reason for that is because there's, you know, that's that's really where I'm firing in all cylinders. So I did not watch the three videos that you have on your landing page and what people are saying. Mm-hmm. But so if, for example, they were saying just what you just said, mm-hmm. then I would say absolutely that because your audience is feeling it and they might describe it in different words. But if the essence is the same, then, you know, then you're there. And I'm looking at the boutiquegrowth.com site. And so I would say, you know, what's maybe missing, but again, I can't tell at a glance, what might be missing is showing some examples of those, of those situations where you're really at your genius zone. And it could be as simple as that you speak to people who need that kind of an advisor, or it could be the stories that you tell. And it could be in the podcast. It could be in your story section. So if that's woven in there, then you've got it. And if it's not, you know, that's a fairly simple thing to do because it's so important to you. You can just, you know, bring that quality out in the marketing materials that you develop. Got it. No, that, that's excellent. So I'll, I'll do the next two quickly. Was it the the client or the market niche focus was the, right. third, the third piece, right? Right. So for me, and I don't know how much of this is personal, right? Because I I leaned on my professional experience to define this, is that before Mm -hmm. I launched Boutique Growth, I said, well, you know, what do I know how to do? I know how to do marketing because at the time I was director of marketing for a small consulting firm. And I know how to do marketing for a, you know, small boutique professional services and consulting environment because that's what I've been doing for the previous five, six years. And we built up Mm -hmm. a pretty reputable, you know, strong firm from scratch, so that's what I chose to be my focus, but I don't really know how much of that ties into the personal brand angle. Maybe you can shed some light on that. Well, before I answer that part, so one of the questions I would have, and it's just a question, is the word boutique. 
Hmm. I love the word boutique. And part of it is, you know, I'm a woman. I grew up shopping. Um, We like boutiques. The question I would have of your clients is, will they search on the word boutique? And will they, do they have to find you first and then they, they know what it is? Or can they search you out on that? So that would be the first question. And here's what I think. I think that what's missing here is seeing you. Because like I said earlier here, I'm looking at your face as we're talking and we're having a conversation. It's highly personal. I want to see more of you personally on here. You've got your video, which is good. More leads, more clients. But I want to see you even more. I want to see more of you because this firm is so you. Even though your name isn't technically on the door, this is you. This is you. So, yeah, I would argue your personal brand could be more evident here and it would all be a plus. And you could talk more about the experiences you had, you know, tell the story of why you left. I love the way you said that, you know, your parents were like, oh, no, he's left accounting and he's gone into this squishy marketing field. (laughs) Those things are all powerful. They make you personal and, and they don't take away from any of your credentials. In fact, you know, you put E and Y in there and you, you know, you've just added a, a big, you know, check mark in the boxes of a lot of people in your potential audience. Well, here's the thing that I really want to highlight for folks. And I, this is something I hammer on with my clients all the time. But of course, I make the same mistakes and we're, we're all guilty of them at some point is you never want to hide behind the firm, whether you're a mm-hmm. solo or a small firm. Don't hide behind the firm's brand. And this is a classic example. Why don't I talk about the fact that my Indian parents were embarrassed that I left my partner track CPA job at a big firm to, you know, join a small consulting firm and eventually start my own firm? I wouldn't talk about that because I'm hiding behind the brand. I'm hiding behind boutique growth to some extent, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but it's a powerful story. And when you told it the first time, like I immediately, I connected with a story of my own you know, that was similar. And so that's what happens, you know, when you tell stories, people connect with them. It's there's universal truth in our stories. And I love that story. I think it's really powerful. Excellent. No, that's great. The fourth piece, then the the big idea, and I think this is one that I definitely struggle with. It's been on my mind. If I had to boil down my big idea, I think it would be the following. If you're not growing as fast as you could, chances are the biggest problem you have is you don't have enough leads. Lead generation is your number one problem. If you want to grow, you need more leads. There are smaller problems you could fix, certainly. But if you're not opening up enough new conversations, you're not going to close more conversations. That's my big idea. Okay. Okay. So I would argue that that's more of a point of view. Mm. That Because what you're doing is you're saying this is how. The word I focused on when you were talking was the word grow. And growth is in your firm name as well. That when you say want more leads for your professional services firm, hey, that's important. And there's a lot of us who would go, yes, that's important to me. What's missing, though, is that emotion piece, you know, where you're tugging on the emotions a little bit. And I'm just, you know, off the top of my head, just listening, I might play with the growth idea and touch the emotions that your target audience feels around growth. And it could be both negative and positive. It could be when you think about what does it feel like when you're growing, when you're, you're growing your firm, what is the feeling of that? And I want to latch into that a little bit more. And then the flip side for some of your, and when I say marketing, it could be as simple as a tweet or a blog post. 
is the reverse, which says frustrated because you just can't grow fast enough. And you talk about what that, that feels like because you're rescuing people from that by creating more leads. Yeah. And I think that's you rightfully pointed out when you were explaining the big idea. This is definitely the hardest part of the four, isn't it? It is. And you really have to do all the other things first, usually. And then the big idea kind of comes. Yeah. But the other piece is the big idea really shouldn't be too many words. So if you start to get seven, eight, nine words, every word has to really mean something. The, The simpler you can make it, the more powerful. And don't feel like it has to be a tagline. I mean, in my case, I do use it as one, but the big idea doesn't have to be a tagline. It's something that fuels you as well as your clients that you get excited about that, you know, you can't wait to come in and and talk to me on a podcast because you're helping your core audience and then fill in the blank with that big idea. Right. Yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense. Listen, Rochelle, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot, but I thought that was pretty helpful, not only for me, but hopefully also for listeners to make this all more concrete. I like doing that. Listen, anything else we haven't talked about when it comes to personal branding that you think is important to mention before we wrap up? I guess that maybe a little piece, but, you know, sometimes a forgotten piece is once you get to that big idea, you kind of have to go back and I call it creating your sound bites, right? You have to kind of parse that big idea into a series of messages, almost bullet points, ideally sentences, but a single sentence around that big idea. So you take your point of view, like what you said about lead generation, contributing to growth for a professional firms. So you create that point of view, which might be a few paragraphs of your belief system around that. You have your big idea, which is, you know, kind of baked into that. And then you just make a series of messages. And, you know, it might be four or five, it might be 10, but they're really simple messages. And what those messages do for you is they help you focus, no matter what you're doing, on coming back to your core differentiators. Right. Oh, absolutely. Rochelle, how can folks look you up and learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Well, my website is uh, rochellemolten.com. And the easiest place to find me in action is usually on Twitter. And I'm at Consulting Chick, <laughs> C-H-I-C-K. Excellent. We'll have a link to both Rochelle's Twitter profile and her website in the show notes to this episode at forecast.fm slash R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E. Rochelle, this has been a ton of fun and incredibly valuable. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.